Hello everybody, this is Dan Woods here at RSA 2019, where we're doing a variety of podcasting with cybersecurity experts, and today I have with me Scott Petrie, the CEO of Authenticate. We're going to talk about some cybersecurity issues, all the questions that we've asked everybody else, and also some other issues as well. Uh, Scott, would you uh, introduce yourself and also explain what Authenticate does so people will know where you're coming from? Sure thing, Dan. Nice to see you again and uh, happy to have the conversation. So, um, I'm Scott Petrie. I'm co-founder and CEO of Authenticate and we build Silo, the cloud browser. It's a, it's a uh, intuitively obvious idea but maddeningly complex to get people to really understand and embrace. The browser is the biggest risk area in the environment. It's the thing that people use to get on the internet. Instead of running the browser on the local device where it processes all the code that comes down from all the various websites, with Silo, the browser lives in the cloud. All code is executing in the cloud. The users interact with nothing more than an encrypted remote display of that browser session. You get a fresh browser when you start, and when the user finishes the session, the browser is torn down, thrown away. So anything that would normally come in the browser stays in the virtual browser, which is in the cloud. Exactly right. To the user, it feels like a normal local browser. In fact, it can be interacted with inside a tab of their local browser. But all the execution is on a remote host. It's like watching a Netflix movie instead of running the DVD in your local DVD player. Excellent. Well, um, you probably run into a lot of the questions, the issues that are related to the questions I'm going to bring up. So let's just go through them. The first question is about zero trust. Um, you know, what I, if you think about the zero trust idea, you know, there's a really interesting and, 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 and beautiful sort of construct, which is the idea that you no longer have to have a perimeter, that everybody in every server is protected, you know, as a unit responsively to what they, they try to get to. Now, and, and some companies that are all cloud actually pull this off and they don't have firewalls. But, um, everybody else is going to have this environment where, as the speaker earlier today said, the, the, the carpeted uh, 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 space, you know, where your perimeter is, where your, your network is, mm -hmm. and then you'll have the outside of that space, which where, where you don't have a perimeter. But it seems like zero trust is sort of um, uh, just another authentication mechanism inside the carpeted space, and then it's, it only becomes like you know, what it is meant to be outside the carpeted space. Yeah. You know, how, uh, how would you say, you know, this is going to play out? Yeah. And, you know, because it, it, it seems to be a, kind of a confusing landscape. It is, and, and, and it's a really, it's a fascinating environment. And we seem to do this a lot in the cybersecurity space where we, where we take a catchphrase or a keyword and it means different things to different people. Uh, and it sort of takes on a life of its own. Zero trust as a concept is really interesting. In fact, it harkens back to the days of access and authentication, where, you know, the, in, in very simple terms, you know this, and you, I'm sure your users do as well, but uh, the idea was, like, if I'm, if I'm uh, inside my firewall, I should have full access to everything. If I'm outside my firewall, I have to go through a different step, a set of steps in order to get access to things. Well, when you see lateral movement of malicious code inside of the organization, you know, you want to rethink your internal trust model. Uh, so it's a perfect thing for identity and access management to get back to the point where you're skeptical. It makes perfect sense to be skeptical. Uh, uh, entitlements of users shouldn't be fail open, it should be fail closed, right? One of the, one of the principal constructs of a, of, a, of a rational security architecture. But when, when the terms become, you know, sort of marketing catchwords or category words, 
they, they mean different things to different people. And we're guilty of this as well. We say silo on our website right now. It's the browser for a zero trust web. The idea being, you don't want to trust anything. Whether you're consuming internal uh, uh, resources, uh, you don't want to trust a user to be proper with the data, you don't want them to potentially leak it. If you're consuming name brand external resources like a reputable website that might have an advertising network that got corrupted, or if you're for legitimate reasons going to a pseudo reputable or sketchy website for you know research purposes or, or other functions, you don't want to trust any code that's, that you can't vouch for. And the browser's predicated on executing arbitrary third-party code you know, from a variety of sources. And we say there's, you can't trust anything in that world. And so that's how we think of zero trust. I think much like you know, the segregation of the network, uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, access controls to various resources, the trust authorization of machines. I think the idea of looking skeptically at what user entitlements are and enforcing better authentication to get access to resources is nothing but a good thing. The, the thing I don't like is when I try to log into a website and it makes me solve a puzzle or pick out the thing that says how many traffic lights do you use, how many street right. signs are in this grid. It's like, geez, is that little left corner of a street sign a street sign? And I'm sure somebody has mapped that back to a zero trust construct, but it sure is maddening for me to get to the, you know, I have to, I have to solve the capture before getting into the website. Right, so you're, you're saying essentially that the, the paradigm of zero trust is maybe defined by Google, you know, in the BeyondCorp architecture, and then the way it's been implemented by various cybersecurity mm -hmm. vendors has now got us to a point where you have to sort of know, it's like the word cloud. Mm -hmm. what, what, what do you mean exactly. when you're saying exactly. cloud? Exactly. Zero trust has kind of come to that point. So for you, it's, a, it's, 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 it's basically a philosophical position. It is. While for some other people, it's more like a network architecture. Or, or, or a set of product capabilities that uh, enable some of the things. And, and, and your example of Google and the word cloud being a metaphor for this phenomenon we're in is exactly how we've discussed it internally. So, you know, zero trust is in the eye of the beholder or the provider, I guess, but we do think about it in the context of the philosophical, to use your word, you know, engagement that users have with web code. Well, it also seems like uh, one of the things that frustrates me about it is ideally, if it was implemented according to its first principles, something should go away when you use <laughs> a zero trust model. And what should go away is the perimeter. Yeah. But what's, what's happening is people are doing quote unquote zero trust and nothing goes away because they, 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 they can't uh, get rid of the perimeter yet. And, uh, and, and so it seems to, to bring up another point, which is my next question, which is why is cybersecurity com always additive? It seems like every generation of cybersecurity adds new capabilities and new products. People adopt those products, but nothing ever goes away. And, and uh, when are we going to get to a point where we'll start meaningfully pruning so that a new capability actually retires older capabilities in cybersecurity. It just doesn't seem we've gotten there yet. I love this question, and I'm gonna really try to bite my tongue so it doesn't sound like a product advertisement, okay, but okay. I love this question. We've been talking a lot about the expanded scope and scale of the things people need to do to, to, to be secure. Uh, research shows, and I'll get my sources wrong, I think it was Cisco that said the average enterprise has 70, 70 cybersecurity vendors. The second stat that we think is staggering, and I think it was dimensional research that says 
almost 75% of CISOs interviewed say the role of the cybersecurity professional is changing because of this exceedingly complicated heterogeneous environment and they can't find staff to keep up. So if you look at those trends, right? I have more vendors, those vendors deliver more stuff, I've got to hire staff to manage it, but I'm struggling it, and then you overlay the, the increase in exploits, these are trends that don't end well. It's getting, it's getting worse for IT across all aspects of the equation, all facets of the equation. So, full stop. I presented at a uh, bank's uh, uh, annual CISO summit uh, 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 last fall. And it was great to be the fly on the wall before as all the other vendors uh, presented because the customers that were in the audience, the CISOs that were in the audience, would invariably ask, what goes away if I deploy your stuff? Don't right. tell me about new features. Tell me what. Well, did anybody say tell any? Me. Did anybody have an answer? To that? A handful do. You know, everybody has to answer the question. But so, and this is where you know you can edit me out if I get to be too product centric here. Right, right. But if you think about what we do, where the browser actually executes out in the cloud instead of the endpoint, you shift 100% of your web exploit surface area away from your environment. It allows you to do some things immediately that dramatically improve the internal IT situation. I'm not talking about soft costs or process costs. I'm talking about hard cost recouping. If you don't have web code reaching the endpoint, your zero-day surface area on the endpoint is pretty minimal. You don't need AI-enabled next-gen AV. Things like Wind Defender that comes with the OS are perfectly sufficient when your surface area is the USB thumb drive or a, you know, a macro uh, exploit that might be in an exchange file or something like that. If you know you have a if you have a static rendering on the local device, uh, object file rendering on the local device. One of the things that we see in the network area today is that with the explosion of TLS connections, every organization that needs to audit user behavior needs to expand or increase their infrastructure to do TLS inspection. It's a huge driver to the networking infrastructure. And just for market. the acronym uh, challenged, what is TLS? TLS is Transport Layer Security, HTTPS. And what it says, Dan, if you work for me and I'm a compliant organization or I'm a security conscious organization and you go to www.facebook.com or www.twitter.com or www.newyorktimes.com and that conversation is delivered encrypted, I need to terminate that encrypted conversation, break it open and analyze what's right. being done before I pass it along. And so if you think about the 90% of websites that are now delivering their payload via an encrypted channel, that means you have to get way more sophisticated with your network infrastructure to do inspection of those conversations. If you run the browser in the cloud, we do TLS break inspect in the browser itself and audit everything that's going on in the browser. You don't need any additional networking infrastructure. So what you're saying is that, that your approach to pruning would be one in which you try to refactor the surface area. That's right. So that you can simplify the threat, you know, the, the, you can simplify the, the possible threats and they have simpler solutions. That's exactly right. That, that would, uh, that That's would exactly right. protect you. At the client, at the network, as well as at the gateway. Right? What are the problems you need to solve? I need to have my endpoints secure. You don't need a sophisticated AV if you have 
no zero day uh, surface area. At the network, I don't need to do TLS inspection or CASB auditing of you know, my user activity if I have robust logging in the application that the user is using all the time, which is the browser. And at the gateway, today we have very sophisticated conditionals and exception handling for your SWG to allow your user to get your secure web gateway to allow a user to get to a website or not. You basically whitelist internal sites, you, you, you take all other traffic and shunt it off to a secure cloud browser, you can do that with a firewall. You don't need a secure web gateway. And so our whole approach is to say, how simple can IT get? When I started my career as an IT guy in 1987, I was provisioning people computers that plugged into a network I managed, accessing an application that I provisioned either on the machine or in the data center. Got it. Well, the next um, uh, sort of uh, question that I have plays into the idea of the refactoring that you mentioned. And that is, we now have a world in which we have mostly still on-premise cybersecurity solutions. And we have increasing amounts of those solutions powered by connections to the cloud where they're getting, they're accessing machine learning or other kind of collaborative mechanisms. And then, we also now have some legitimate cloud-based uh, uh, solutions uh, that are uh, providing cybersecurity. And how do you see the kind of portfolio that the CISO manages migrating to the cloud? You know, what, what, what will be the steps uh, that, that go forward and, and how will products change as that migration takes place? So the answer we like the best is take the core asset, the application, much like storage moved from on-prem to the cloud or back office applications you know for onboarding offboarding employees or accounting packages or ERP have moved from on-prem to the cloud we'd love to see that phenomenon happen the same way with the browser as the asset you know moving to the cloud where you get all the commensurate benefits of the cloud migration I don't think we'll see that though I think I think we're going to see it unfortunately in the piecemeal manner that the cybersecurity solutions have been established to date. You know, what was the first cloud-based uh, uh, security solution? I might be wrong here, but I would think, if you know, answering extemporaneously to your question, uh, uh, some sort of shared threat intel or network effect. If I've seen a threat in point A, can I block it in point B, or can I prepare for it in point B? You have to do that by sharing the information, you know, across cloud vendors. At my last company at Postini, we did a bunch of that in our network for IP reputation. You know, so we could we could have a, a, a reputation score of an IP before we accepted an email message from that uh, from that sender. So I think you know it was those piecemeal. We see now a lot of the SIM analysis, a lot of the log aggregation, a lot of SIM analysis, a lot of the, the uh, uh, sort of uh, the, the analytics that scientists need to do to look at anomalous events and you know, figure things out, the real knowledge research work moving to the cloud. You see data feeds, you know, threat intel feeds like from recorded future or others moving to the cloud. I wish we could just jump right to the answer, which is migrate the applications themselves out to the right. cloud where well, they can be centrally it controlled. It seems like when you do that, then you can actually do the, the real zero trust. You, you can do you know, zero you can, trust. You, have, you can live without a perimeter you have you no know, perimeter. when everything's in the cloud. Yeah. But um, it's not going to be very soon that, that most companies get there. It's really hard. And I know, you know Google, for their, for their model, even owning the Chromebook and the, the hardware and the software stack and the access to services, they're not a completely perimeterless organization either. We as a secure uh, uh, cloud browser vendor, you know, we, we consume all of our apps in the cloud. 
but you know when we have to fill out our compliance forms for our FedRAMP or whatever, you know there's certain things that are mandated by the regulatory bodies right. that you have to have, and one of those things is you know secure perimeter-based controls. They don't. The 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 compliance frameworks right. are just written. happens to be nothing inside. That, them. That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly. Here's our box. Yeah, exactly. We have our box. Exactly. Check. There's yeah. nothing. Yeah. We, well, but also we have our perimeter, and inside the perimeter there, we don't have no, anything. Nothing. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, there, there's there's there used to be the hard perimeter with the crunchy center, right? And then the idea was to say, you know, everywhere is a perimeter. There's no perimeter. Make every asset harden. That's definitely the direction we see things going. And and there are, there are a few encouraging trends, right? I think I do think this the Google model of the zero trust, right? Or the the uh, the conversations that I think some of the analysts are starting to have around software defined perimeter. Uh, where you move some of the inherent controls up to uh, cloud-based assets uh, away from the carpeted areas your guy was talking to. Um, I think it makes sense because managing this cocktail of stuff, reference the prior point, it's just untenable long-term. Well, let's now pick up on that idea of like how, how uh, you can improve your management. The next question I wanted to ask is about um, ops discipline. Uh, and what I mean by that is operational discipline. I mean, would CISOs be better off if they didn't buy the next cybersecurity capability, but instead invested that money in increasing their operational discipline? And by that, I mean configuration management, patch management, you know, getting a good inventory, being able to expand automation, uh, you know, being able to expand agility and responsiveness. You know, if you if you made all those things better, just to you could refactor, you know, your sort of uh, your, your abilities, and maybe you would need less cybersecurity. So, um, two kindred souls here. Uh, I, I could not agree with that more. Uh, I'll say a couple of things, and I'm going to bastardize a quote from Alex Stamos, but he speaks about this a lot, where he says, uh, "We we fixate on the shiny uh, on the shiny newest exploit." while the true vulnerability is the stuff below the surface, the basic standard stuff we're not doing well. We spend an inordinate amount of time on the exotic when we should be addressing the mundane. That's not his quote, but that's the theme of his quote, so uh, uh, tip of the hat to him. I did a presentation to a legal uh, security summit uh, uh, that I called Back to Basics, and I took every major exploit from the year, and it covered uh, from the last year, a year, two years, it covered the target exploit. I said. You know, this wasn't a nation-state actor. It was they didn't segregate their network so that the HVAC consultant could drop malware on the point-of-sale system. Why on earth would the, the, the network that the HVAC consultant is connected to be connected to the network that you run your point-of-purchase system on? Like, it makes no sense. Segregate your networks. It's a simple lesson. Uh, the NotPetya, right? The largest ransomware uh, uh, incident in the history of mankind. Uh, Port 119 and 30, 138 were open because of SMB, IT would leave SMB ports open on the internet. Why on earth would you need to connect to your printer from off your network? You can't make a case for that. Close ports on your firewall, right? Simple. Any pen tester should have been able to tell you that your, 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 you know, your, your, your ports were open. Uh, you look at the RNC breach. Uh, uh, a researcher uh, uh, found and it wasn't just RNC, he's found a troves of this information out on S3 buckets. He's got a, fuzzy, a fuzzer crawler that just crawls publicly available S3 buckets with the permissions wrong. 
to hilarious effect. There's all kinds of data out there. You don't need to buy any AI-enabled machine learning sim with virtual scientists telling right, you what right. to do in order to tell you to close a port on your damn firewall, right? I think operational discipline and internal good housekeeping what is a big area. What do you think gets in the way of, of just doing it? I'm not a psychologist, man, but I think it's like, we think there's technology solutions to everything. There's the industry, like look at, look at the look at the flea market that is RSA, right? It's it's like a Middle Eastern bazaar where they, they call them sooks, right? Where everybody's yeah. yelling and, and trying to get you to do a deal with them. It's it's great, it's a fun environment, but if you're a rational buyer, how do you how do you separate signal from noise here? Right? The industry is telling you buy new stuff, buy more stuff. This is the environment we're in. The discipline, right, the discipline seems to be reserved for the people that are doing, you know, rational security service, pen testers, white hat hackers, etc. If you if you if you bear with me for one more second, you know, when when I started my my career in IT in the late in the 80s, which is relatively late in the longer context, IT was the service that was in place to provide a competitive advantage to the business. We would deploy new solutions that would make the workers more productive or the product we were manufacturing more uh, efficient to manufacture, or our logistics pipeline to be more optimized, whatever. IT was delivering compute solutions to make the business more efficient. Today, IT is in the business of telling users they can't do things because of the risk. This has created a cultural shift in IT that has, that has transformed it from being a value-added resource to being the organization that's trying to put up barriers in order to minimize risk, it's a hard question. I, mean, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how we change that. But for the well, rational organizations that follow the NIST frameworks or whatever, and, and think about you know good housekeeping, it's uh, it's a it's a it's a better path than buying the next new widget. Well, the next question is related to that sort of cultural question, and that is, you know, the people are the ultimate perimeter, and you know. It, it's hard to get people to take cybersecurity seriously, to really um, adopt good practices, to realize that it's it's important that everybody worry about it. You don't want the auditor to be the one who's complaining about the post-it note with passwords on the computer. You want everybody to say, that's a bad idea, that's going to hurt us. Absolutely. Um, have you run into companies that are actually good at training and maintaining a cybersecurity awareness culture? Um, uh, you know, outside of the, the obvious suspects like the intelligence communities or financial services. But even the intelligence communities and the financial services firms have infi insiders that either inadvertently or advertently, if that's a word, leak information, right? Or expose resources. That's a really hard one. And we have, one of my favorite customers is the CIO of a major metropolitan city government. He has a t-shirt on that says you can't program out stupid. Right. What his approach has been is to take away the ability for users to hurt the business. And it starts with the admin having a, re the, the CISO or the CIO in this instance, having a strategy to say, how can I enable my business while minimizing the ability for them to screw it up? It's a different perspective than, am I keeping all my technology topped off with the latest and greatest? He thinks about internal business processes. He thinks about where he's vulnerable from his audit uh, perspective. He thinks about how, to, and this is a rather liberal uh, uh, city, so there's liberal you know, uh, employee policies as well. He thinks about how are my users going to go about their day? 
they're also subject to Freedom of Information Acts when the city is subpoenaed for certain information. How am I going to be able to service those requests? His perspective is much more of a holistic, what's my work environment? What am I trying to do as a business and how do I enable my users rather than what technology do I need to in install to check off my checklist? We have a, we have a saying in, in, inside the group which is, you know, admins are users too. If you enable the administrator to get in front of the problems or think about the problems from a different perspective than a config file, right, you can start getting them to engage in the business, maybe change their operating procedures, maybe make the life for the users better by a combination of effective product selection and, and rational management. Well, here's the last question, and that is, um, a lot of people that I've run into, where CTOs, CIOs, or CISOs, have have had to um, buy cyber insurance because they were forced to by their CEO or board. We've had customers that have mandated we get cyber insurance. Right, and and uh, many of the people don't want to do it because the insurance is new. It's a new product. It's got a lot of exceptions. Uh, it's got a lot of escape hatches so they don't have to pay. And then what it explicitly covers is not that wide in scope. It doesn't really cover the primary damage of the attack. It covers legal expenses, forensic expenses, other types of expenses. Um, not necessarily the loss, direct loss that you, you have. What It puts CISOs in a difficult position because if they argue directly against it, um, you know, they're, they're, they rarely win. On the other hand, uh, you know, they, you could then say that one play would be to try to get the smallest, cheapest policy just to check the box off. But I think there must be a way also of changing the conversation so that even if you do end up buying it, the, the process of doing that improves more than just, uh, just your, your insurance coverage. I think what you said in the end is I hope the direction it goes. And we see this in the healthcare market is as as the as the Fitbit or the Apple Watch has you know been strapped to every employee's wrist, you know, healthcare providers or insurance payers now have the ability to help employees be more active be leading a healthier lifestyle. There are apps that now do consulting with the employee to help them understand you know, how their life choices might lead to you know, problems later or whatever. And companies with certain metrics and stats, everybody loves a leaderboard, you know, they get lower premiums. I hope that happens with cybersecurity. You've articulated the problem. This, the, the obvious gap is there's no baseline audit that says, are you doing this, 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 and this? Those things are going to make you more secure. Do you, you know what your, you know, what resources are at risk? This is how you're protecting and managing it. We're giving you a security score. Uh, you know, here's, here's, your, uh, here's your premium. We can insure you differently based on the profile of the data that's at risk and the measures that you take. Until it, until it gets to that point, and there are organizations like UpGuard or Security Scorecard or others that are starting to try to do some of that outside-in assessment, but until the insurance companies basically force some common criteria for what is a secure versus an insecure environment, I think it's just going to be a placebo, as you described. Like, look, you know, if, if if Equifax were to were to have had cybersecurity, you know, insurance, shouldn't the insurance company have known they weren't patching their web server before right, issuing right. the before writing the profile or the policy rather? 
Like that's it, that's got to be part of the process. If I get healthcare, they're going to test me for pre-existing conditions. Right. Well, good. I think this is a really good conversation. Thank you so much for meeting with me it's again. It's always a pleasure. Always I, I a pleasure to here too. Can't go wait, see your booth. Can't wait till next year and hear what your questions are then. Excellent. All right. Thank, thank you, you so Dan. much.